This has been a, a very painful weekend here at um, our church. Many of you know um, Jim Cooper, and you probably knew his um, late wife, Kim, um, and Hunter, their uh, 21-year-old, newly 21-year-old, took his life on Thursday. And uh, it's been a very painful time, a uh, very just challenging weekend. I've been over there um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and you walk up and it's like, what do you say? There are just no words. And it's, it is, it's what Pam said. It's, it's Jesus in us. And uh, we're doing the service here today at 3 p.m. And uh, Jim wanted to make sure that all of you all knew and were invited. There'll probably be, I'd imagine there'll be over 100, maybe 150 young people who will come from um, Cape Fear, UNCW, and, and Coastal Christian. Um, Hunter was a wonderful young man, and uh, there's actually a group of about 30 of them who are going to get up here on stage and share some stories from his life. So it's going to be a um, precious time. It'll be a sad time, and uh, we will continue to lift up Jim because he's a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, secondly, uh, I, I wore my suit because I'm doing the funeral later, and Hunter hated ties, so I didn't wear a tie in honor of Hunter. But this is a... Um, it was also a wonderful weekend because Matt George, our Matt George, got married on Friday. And uh, really exciting. Um, this was the, the suit that all the groomsmen wore. I got to be a groomsman in his wedding, and um, it was just a really wonderful celebration. So um, we are in a collection of talks in John. We're in John 7. I sent out an email. I hope you guys got it. Um, and the essence of it is really... Uh, what Pam shared. So Pam, thank you. You teed me up well. Um, <clears throat> I titled my message this morning, Running into Divine Purpose, and I brought uh, my daughter Eve's running shoes. And uh, I brought hers because hers were cuter than mine, and they uh, smelled better too. And uh, we were standing here, and uh, my sweet Eve was sitting next to me, and uh, she elbowed me and said, Dad, when we came home last night, I stepped in booze throw up. Don't hold the bottom of the shoe. <laughs> you know, um, life's messy, isn't it? Life's messy. And Jesus meets us in the mess. He meets us right in the middle of it if we will surrender fully to him and allow us to live in us and through us. And that's really what we're talking about today. So we're talking about running into divine purpose. Turn with me to John 7. And uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Um, I am going to try to get my arms around four scriptures. I don't usually do that. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about the judgment of, of Christ. Um, we're not going to get into eschatology or the study of end times things too much, but we are going to touch on a few things. And uh, I think it's very important for us as a church to understand what, what the end is going to look like. What's it going to look like to stand before Jesus? So let's start reading here in John 7. Um, I'm actually going to start at verse 16. John 7, verse 16. And in fact, you know what I'm going to do today a little differently? I like to pray after I read the scripture, but I'm reading four scriptures today. So can we pray before we jump in? Lord Jesus, we ask that as we read today, that you would enliven the word to us. Lord, our hearts go out to Jim and Andrew, Andrew's fiance, Allie, Will, and his wife, Elizabeth. Lord, I pray that you would touch their hearts today in a very special way, and you would encourage them and lift their spirits. 
In your name we pray, amen. John 7, starting in verse 16, Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. We're going to come back to this at the very end of the sermon. My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. Already what you begin to see is Jesus fully surrendered. He's saying, it's not mine, it's God's. If anyone chooses to do God's will, I think that's fascinating. We have a choice whether or not we do God's will. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. It's interesting we don't find out whether it's God's teaching until we choose to do his will. Kind of a side note there, but verse 18, he who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth, and there is nothing false about him. Now, there, what happens here next is there's a big banter between Jesus and the crowd, and the crowd is angry at Jesus. They actually want to kill Jesus. Um, and it's fascinating to me because uh, they're angry that he healed a guy on the Sabbath. That's what they're upset about. And if you look at the timeline, they're actually upset about something that happened about six months prior. This event is happening during a feast when he healed the guy on the Sabbath. It was during a feast. We know it's about six months. And you're like, are you all still really angry about something he did six months ago? But as he goes on, I want to read the very last verse of this passage that we're looking at. Verse 24, Jesus says, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Well, in my own life, I've sort of been studying what is the judgment of God? What does that even mean? How do we as people make judgments? What does it mean to judge other people? It's so easy to be judgmental. You know, we live in a day and an age where everybody's like, whoa, don't judge me. I can do what I want. Whoa. So what is this? What is judgment? What does this even mean? It feels like if we have an opinion these days that we're being judgmental, doesn't it? Feels like if we have an opinion, we're not allowed to vocalize it or voice it or say it because someone's going to get upset. So I started going, Lord, what is this? What, what, what is judgment? What does it look like? And uh, so I'm going to take us through a couple of passages of Scripture. Biblically, there is evidence that there may be either two judgments or there may be sort of two parts to one judgment. It's not really clear to me in the Scriptures. But uh, I want to take us to Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. I'm going to put it on the screen for you today. I don't know if I can read it from back there, so I'm going to have to turn around. <clears throat> this is the very end of the canon of Scripture. And John's writing, and he says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Books, plural, really important here. Multiple books are opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So this appears to be the first judgment as we look at the scriptures. It appears to be where um, all humans come before, dead and alive, stand before Christ Jesus, stand before God Almighty, and they're judged. Now, really important, this is a judgment of 
grace. It's a judgment of grace. So you see multiple books being opened right there in the middle. There's multiple books. And the books are recording what we've done. That's kind of scary, isn't it? It's scary to me when everything I've done is written in a... God have mercy. But see, the second part of it says the book of life. And if our names are written in the book of life, in other words, if we've surrendered our hearts and our minds to Christ Jesus, if Christ Jesus is living his life in us and through us, as Pam said, what's recorded in all of the other books, what we've done, gets obliterated. It's exchanged for Christ Jesus. It's exchanged for the holiness and the righteousness of God. We can all breathe. At least that's what I did when I read that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love that there's a cross on this stage. It's not trendy and hip anymore to preach with a cross on a stage. You know that? A lot of churches you go to, there's no cross up there. I love that there's a cross here. I'll always preach underneath a cross because my name's written in the Lamb's book of life. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him, him in us. That's what Pam was saying. It's beautiful. Okay, so then there seems to be some evidence. So let me me just uh, maybe sum this up again. Um, This is a judgment of grace. It's a judgment of exchange. In other words, all of Jesus' holiness and righteousness is exchanged for all of my sin, right? We know this. It's a judgment of grace. And so you come before that throne, every one of us are going to, and I'm going to say, check out that book of life. My name's in it, and the other books have been erased. I hope you're thinking the same thing. If you're not in Christ today, then today is your day. You can surrender your life. There's no magic words. There's no special prayer. It is a surrendered life. It is a, Lord Jesus, come in and live your life in me and through me. And then you begin this process of knowing him and being known by him and walking with him daily in a surrendered fashion like Pam and Scott were talking about. That's what it means to be a Christian. Okay, so then there's another uh, judgment. This is the judgment seat of Christ. This is in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. I'm going to put it up on the screen also. You don't necessarily need to turn there. You can just look at your screen. And this says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So I'm going, what is, what's the difference between this big white throne judgment and then we have this judgment seat of Christ? What, what even is this? What does it mean? Okay, let's keep going. So that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I don't know about you, but at first reading, that's a little frightening again. (gasps) And I think the risk is that what we start to do is go into sort of a um, performance-based Christianity where we're running around trying to do good things, lots of good things, in order to earn the favor and love of Christ Jesus, right? We all know that. We all know people like that. And what's fascinating is Christ, in um, all of the New Testament, he reserved his greatest criticism... For the religious people. He reserved his greatest criticism for those whose hearts weren't engaged, but who were cleaning up the outside, who were performing and who were doing everything right. That's the risk, I think, as we read this, that we fall into a performance-based Christianity. And one of the things that um, I think as a, the American church has almost, um, we've almost overlooked this second judgment. 
But what I want to propose to you today as I study the scriptures is that this judgment is a judgment of works that we do based on our surrender. This isn't a, um, you got to run around and do all these good things and we got to be kind and we got to, you know, stop and help and we, it's not how many things we do. It's are you surrendered to Christ and are you obedient to him? Surrender and obedience. Otherwise, it becomes this thing where we're running around trying to earn our salvation. So let's, let's, um, let's kind of just think practically about this. Let's say you have a minister, a pastor in the ch- local church, and he is called to be in business. Just think about that a minute. But he chooses to stay in ministry. What do you think Jesus is going to say when he stands before this judgment? See, it's a judgment of obedience. It's a judgment of surrender. And we have assumptions about what that might look like. Some of us refuse to totally surrender to Christ Jesus because we're afraid that God's going to call us to do something wild, like sell everything and go to the mission field like Doug and Beth Wright did. And here's the deal. God might. He might. He might call you to go get a job and be an executive at a company. He might call you to get in politics. You might be a a woman and you want to be a homemaker and he's called you to be in business. Called you to be a business leader. You might be a woman in business and he's called you to be a homemaker. See, the deal is not, am I being good? Am I doing good? The deal is, are you surrendered to Christ Jesus and are you in obedience and in step with what he's calling you to do? I meet a lot of young people and they're like, I want to be married. And I'm like, good, have you asked God? I'd start there. You don't want to be married if God hasn't called you to be married. See, when we step out of God's um, will for our lives, when we step out of what he's called us to be about, his gracious hand is no longer, his blessing, his grace is no longer on us. Does that make sense? So this isn't a message of work harder, perform more. This is a message of are you surrendered to Christ Jesus? Are you in obedience with what he has called you to do? And I think one of the nat- natural outplays, and you can follow along also in your bulletin insert. Um, I did not leave little spaces for you this week. I ran out of, out of time in my week. But anyway, you can follow along. But I think the question here is, are you in total dependence on Christ? That's what Pam and Scott just got up here and said every day. See, dependence on Christ and surrender to Christ is not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. How many of us have interactions with our spouses and one of the the spouses or one of us says something we don't like and what's the other one do? Come on, you know that bow up? That's a lack of a surrendered heart. See, a surrendered heart, a crucified heart. I've been crucified with Christ. So the second judgment is really a judgment about how dependent and how obedient are you to Christ. This isn't about are you going to gain entrance to heaven. I think it's really important. This second thing has nothing to do with are you going to get into heaven. Once you've stood before that white throne and your name's in the book of life, guess what? You're in. You're in. I think this second portion of the judgment is what level are you going to be welcomed into heaven? How, what will the fanfare look like? What will the, are, are you one who's just going to skate in? Or are you one who is going to surrender it all? I think if I, 
as I meet with young people, as I meet with married people, as I meet with older people, what I probably see more than anything is people who are afraid to surrender because of what God's going to call them to do. And in reality, I think in the quietness of our own hearts, in the quietness of our own journaling, in the quietness of our own prayers, maybe that's the early morning hours for you, maybe that's the late night hours, I think we have a sense, all of us who are in Christ, of what God has called us to do. Meet with people sometimes and they're like, I don't know what I'm called to do. Like, get quiet, surrender, ask. He will show you. Everyone who is in Christ, we are his sheep, and his sheep know his voice. That's right. That's right. God is not hard to follow. We had, uh, when our kids were younger, um, we had a little jar at our house called a wise choice jar. And it was a, um, it's like a glass, uh, what are those, mason jars. And uh, next to the mason jar, we had a bowl of um, these these glass, kind of like marbles. And the whole point was, instead of being parents who always focused on the negative, you're not doing this right, you're not doing it, we were about catching them doing the right thing. This was a judgment of rewards. This was a catching them doing the right thing. And there was a couple of rules. One of the rules was, you can't tell us when you do something good. Because as soon as they found out about it, they'd be like, oh, did you see me do that? Hey, check it out, I just helped carry the groceries in. Hey, did you see what I did for Eve? So one of the rules was you can't say anything. You've just gotta live and we will watch and we will catch you doing right things. And at the end of each evening, we'd, get, we'd come together around dinner or after dinner and uh, we would call out just the goodness that we saw in our kids. And they'd put these little marbles into the jar. And when the jar got filled, we'd do something fun. We'd go roller skating, go to dinner, go to the fuzzy peach. Um, We'd do something fun. But what that promoted in both of our kids was we want to work together. We want to surrender together. We want to uh, even change and create an atmosphere in our family. And and it it was a focus on the good not the bad. And it really brought wonderful things out of our kids. We're doing that in different ways now, but the wise choice jar, we don't have in our house any longer. That's a great thing with younger children. But I think the other thing I want to say this morning is it's never too late. Some of you are going, oh, it's too late. I haven't obeyed the Lord. I haven't done. It's never too late, guys. Never, never, never. Never. The moment you surrender, The moment you surrender, Jesus begins to work every little detail. This is a God who makes all things new. And he will begin to form and shift even our sin, even the ugliness. God's going to take the painful situation in the Cooper family and he's going to use it for his glory and his good. Did he want that to happen? Absolutely not. Was that in his heart? Absolutely not. But he is going to take the most painful situation and use it for his glory. I sat on the back porch with Jim Cooper and that's what Jim just kept saying. We're gonna watch Jesus use this for good. That's the character of our God. But you've gotta surrender your life and you've gotta begin to ask him and listen, incline your ears. Lord, what have you called me to be about? What have you called me to do? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3. This is kind of a second part. Um, This is verses 12 through 15. It's in the NIV. 
but it's kind of a second part to me of, of this second judgment. I'm going to read it out loud. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, guess what that day is? It's the judgment seat of Christ. The day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. That's scary to me. (gasps) If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved. That's interesting there. Even though only as one escaping through the flames. I want to do more than be saved. Can I say that? I'd like to get into heaven and have a little rah-rah going on, you know? I'm like, Lord Jesus, I don't want to just squeak in and everything in my life gets burned up. I've done a lot of things over my life. I've done some good things and some ugly things and some sinful things, and there's good things that I've done that I know that I've done for the wrong motives. You guys know what I'm saying there? I've done good things. They looked good. They sounded good. I got some attaboys for it. We like attaboys, don't we? But if they're not called and ordained by God, good things, according to this, get what? Burned up, oh my goodness. So what this is creating is a dependence. You shouldn't walk out of here and go, I gotta do more. You might need to do more. God may be calling you to do more, but the key is what is God calling you to do? He might be calling you to go volunteer at a nursing home. He might be calling you to go get involved in a local school and uh, what tutor kids after school. He might be calling you to reach out to a neighbor. He might be calling you to switch careers. He might be calling you to reach out to an estranged family member. See, the key to the Christian life is this surrender where we're going, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, what are you calling us to do? And would you activate us and empower us to be about that purpose? You follow me? That's the surrendered Christian life. It's not just the do-gooder Christian life. A little word to the wise here this morning. More benevolence, more good activity, more good things in your life will not produce a greater reward on this day. What will produce a greater reward is surrender to and obedience to the Lordship of Christ Jesus. Not just once, but daily. And that is the key that I want you to walk out with today. It's not just go work harder. Pam actually said it beautifully. It's being in tune with the Spirit of God. If God calls you to pray for somebody who's sick and you don't, If God calls you not to pray for somebody who's sick and you do, you see what I'm saying? It's about being surrendered to the obedience of Christ Jesus. I want to tell you something we're in the middle of. I debated about this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Last June, Abby and I started a process with a local foundation called the Bear Foundation. And the Bear Foundation works with um, foster children. They place foster kids. 
And um, I mean, I've not taken this lightly. We've been praying about this since last June. We had to take a three-month course. We got a pile of paperwork we had to do. And we have a friend who has two adopted children. One of them's been two foster children. One of them's been adopted. And the other one um, is a foster child on the road to adoption. Well, this younger child, I think I'm making sense. Tell me if I'm not. This younger child has a biological brother that was born two days ago. And for the last four or five months, Abby and I have been working towards getting licensed so that we could have a foster child. So there's a little foster baby that was born to a mom who was addicted to heroin. Dad's incarcerated, mom's incarcerated, thankfully, because it helps detox some of the heroin. And we got this phone call. Michael, there's a little baby. Now, big decision here for us. And it can't be a decision of logic. It must be a decision of call. You see the difference? I can logic my way. I can come up with 20 great reasons why we should have this little baby, move towards adoption with this little baby. I can come up with probably 20 great reasons why we shouldn't right now at this particular time in our life have this little baby and move towards adoption with this little baby. So the question is, Lord Jesus, what is your heart, your will for this situation, for this little baby? Abby got in a car yesterday and drove to Wake Med in Raleigh, and she met this little guy for the first time. And we are engaging in a process of moving from foster care to adoption with a newborn little baby. Cool, huh? But the key that I want, and I, I want it, it's so important this isn't just we go adopt every child. This isn't we stop and help everyone who's got a flat tire. This isn't we work harder and we blah, blah, blah. We probably all need to do some of those things. Shake your head at me, yes. We all need to probably do some of those things. But the question is, is the Holy Spirit of God calling you? Because the call of God and the commission of God on any situation in your life is the only question that matters. How many of you know if you ask the right or the wrong question, you always get the wrong answer? If you're asking the wrong question, you are always going to get the wrong answer. The right question is, Lord Jesus, what is your call in this place? And you know what? When God calls you, you can endure. He will gift you with the grace to endure whatever he has called you to. But if you're not called to it, you think you're going to have the grace to endure? It's key. Inclining your ear to the heart of God, listening to him. I told you guys a number of months ago, but I have a, um, it's one of the greatest things in my life right now in my relationship with Jesus is I have a five-year journal. I love this thing. Have you ever seen a five-year journal? How many people have seen a five-year journal? Like oh, two of us. All right. Okay. Well, let me tell you what a five-year journal is. A five-year journal, um, it, it just opens up and on each page is literally five years. So I started in 2016, and by the end of that, it'll be what, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. It'll be 2021 that I'll still be working on my five-year journal. But here's what had happened with me, is I knew that the Holy Spirit was prompting me to journal. He just kept, Michael, you need to be journaling. You need to be journaling. And I, I could not, it's like I, every time I opened this big blank journal, I was like, I got to write two pages, and I couldn't do it. You ever felt like that? Is it just me? 
But what this little five-year journal has done is it's only four lines. Every, every day is only four lines. Like, I can do this. And see, what that is helping me do is I'm able to go, man, God gave me a dream that we're supposed to have a foster baby. He actually gave it to Abby. But I can go back in my journal and point to the day he gave it to us. What? I can go back in my journal and go, wow, the Lord spoke this to me here. Wow, I prayed for this on this particular day. I'm reading this book. I'm hearing the scriptures. God is sharing this with me. And what it's, I don't even know how it's happened, but the Holy Spirit of God is doing this thing inside of me where I am all of a sudden, um, it's, he's melding the past and my present with the future and what he's calling me to. And there's all of a sudden clarity about things in my life because I'm able to see sort of from the eyes of heaven, not from um, my place in the trenches. You know what I'm saying? Like every day, a lot of times feels like we're stuck in the mud of life. You get that way? I get that way every day. I'm like, I can't get my head above to see anything. And there's something that this little five-year journal is helping me do. It's helping me take a step back and go, how does Jesus see this? How does this look from eternity? It's helping me find the will of God for us, for me. It's helping me find the things that will not be burnt up in that fire. If you're not doing something like a little journal, I would highly suggest it. You can get it for 20 or 30 bucks from Amazon. It is wonderful discipline. It has changed, it's actually changed our marriage. It's changed our family because all of a sudden I'm making notes of things. Wow, this happened. Whoa, I messed up here. Hurt Abby's feelings, hurt Eve. I had to ask Eve's forgiveness. You know, whatever it is, there's just little notes I'm making about my life and Jesus is changing me and I love it. Some of you need a five-year journal. Maybe that was a commercial. <laughs> okay, I want to tie this up by bringing us back to the original scripture. The original scripture is in uh, John 7. And then I'm going to ask us four questions. And the questions are really designed to prompt you to run towards your divine destiny. See, the questions are designed to really move you towards what has God called you uniquely to do. So back in John, uh, we're just going to look at two verses this time, but this is John 7, verses 16 to 18. And Jesus answered, so this is again, the angry crowd. So remember, you got this angry crowd. They're like, what are you doing? They're angry. They want to kill him. Jesus looks at him and he says, my teaching is not my own. Crucified life right there. Is your life your own? Some days my life is my own. And whenever on those days that my life is my own, I wish it were not. Can I be honest? My wife wishes it were not too. See, when I'm crucified with Christ and Christ is living in me and through me, oh man, I'm a such better husband. I'm a such good daddy. And on those days when who knows why I don't surrender to the Lordship of Christ Jesus and my flesh creeps up, it gets yucky, doesn't it? You know what I'm talking about. Yes. This is about being surrendered to the Lordship of Christ Jesus. Jesus says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. I had a, um, this has been like two years ago now. I was in my, um, my doctor's office, Dr. Johnson, I think. And uh, I was doing a regular checkup or whatever. And um, 
I'd gained a few pounds. I'm like 203, and I was probably 215, so I was a little pudgy, a little squidgy. And and he he looks at me, and he says, um, if you choose to lose weight... And I, he just keeps on going. And, and I, I said, what? And he said, well, if you choose to lose weight, then blah, 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 blah. And I sat there going, it does not feel like a choice to me to lose weight. I'm not sitting around thinking and trying to be a little chubby. And he made it so nonchalant. He was just like, well, you know, if you choose to lose weight. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Jesus says, if you choose to do the will of God. Which means if you're not in the will of God, you may not be choosing to be in the will of God. That's heavy. That's heavy. Choosing to do the will of God. What's interesting too is he says, you will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. But you're only going to discover it after the surrender. You guys see that? You discover the will of God after the surrender. You are not going to, a lot of us sit here and we're like, I'm not going to surrender everything in my life because God's going to call me to the mission field like the rights. Or I'm not going to surrender because God's going to call me to be a weirdo pastor like that bald guy in front of me. Or you fill in the blank. God will call me to have a foster child and I don't want to. I'm too old. You fill in the blank. But we refuse to surrender to the will of God. But God will not tell you until you surrender. It says it right there. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether this teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own accord. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Again, you see the crucified life. I meet with young people, I meet with older people, I meet with pre-married couples and post-married couples, and what I see in almost everybody is people who are self-centered and after their own ends, and I'm one of them. What this says is the one who seeks the glory of the one who sent him. This isn't just for Jesus, this is for us. Are we seeking the glory of God? Because what Pam just stood up here and said is, we are all called to be carriers of Christ Jesus into every situation, into every encounter, into every conversation, at your work, at home, when you go out, when you're at the park, when you're at the grocery store. We are called to be carriers of the life of Christ Jesus. And she said that that life of Christ Jesus will change the atmosphere, change the room, and create a climate where lost people are drawn to encounter the presence and power of Jesus. And that is the gospel. That is Christ in us. That is the crucified life. Jim, will you put the next slide up? Here's a question for us. It's also in your bulletin. Is your life your own? I mean, every area. Is your life your own? See, the areas where you retain control and refuse to surrender are the areas where the resurrected power of Christ Jesus cannot. You guys hear me? The little area, you're like, Lord, I'll give you all this, but I'm not giving you this. I'm hanging on to these couple of things because I love them. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot live. Is your life your own?
Those areas that are not fully surrendered, they're the areas that will be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. I think that's a healthy reminder for every one of us. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the things that we have done or are doing or will do. This isn't about salvation now, hear me. As Christians, we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the things that we're doing that are not called and authored and ordained in the heart of God are gonna be burnt up. Some of you are nervous, you're like, oh my goodness. Surrender it and then let the Holy Spirit of God gently speak to you. He is so gentle, he'll gently speak to you. This is what you're called to do. It's the direction you're called to go. This is my heart for you. Jim, will you put the next one up? And Dean, will you come back and we'll just start playing? I want us to go into more of a time of introspection. I want you to begin to think. Are you choosing to do the will of God? Jesus said clearly right here in John 7 that it's a choice. If you're in Jesus, all of heaven is conspiring to propel you to run into your divine purpose. All of heaven, all of the armies of angels, all of Christ Jesus, all the resurrected power is propelling you to take your place. But you have to surrender and you have to obey. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. Are you seeking your own glory? Jim, will you put the next one up? Are you seeking the glory of the one who sent you? Guys, we're all sent. You're all called. You are called and you are commissioned by Christ Jesus to be carriers of this precious Jesus that we all know and love. Are you actively surrendering to the life of Jesus in you? Last one, Jim, will you put that up? Jesus said... that the person who lives like this is a man or a woman of truth. There is nothing false about them. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. See, truth has a name. His name's Jesus. Are you a person of truth today? Are you fully surrendered to Christ Jesus? Is every area of your life submitted to his lordship? Or maybe there's an area he's calling you, my son, my daughter, bring this to me. Let's close our eyes. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here in this room today. This isn't a message of condemnation. This is actually a message of hope. This is a call. This is a commission that every person in here has a divine call and a divine destiny on their life. And Holy Spirit, you're about whispering that call. And as we surrender and as we obey, you make that call clear. Holy Spirit, as we worship in these moments, would you whisper to us? As eyes are closed, let's just stay in a focused place of prayer. I'm going to invite you to respond in your own way there's an area of your life that needs to be surrendered you might want to stand you might want to come down to the front if you've never accepted Christ Jesus you may want to stand eyes are closed this isn't about anybody else but you and him
about what the Holy Spirit is doing in you and through you. And there's some things that God is calling us as a church to surrender, to see, to move into. calling some of you to come forward and kneel before the cross down here on the steps. The question is, will we listen?